following is part one of a five-part series at Ascension titled Transformed. In this series, we're considering how life in Christ, life through Christ, isn't a fix. It's not an enhancement to life in this world, but in fact, a transformation, an altogether new orientation for genuine life. This message is based on Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. Jesus may live in your heart, but Grandpa lives in your bones. With that thought-provoking statement, author Peter Scazzaro summarizes a major point in one of his books called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And the point that he's making is this. Though we are very truly Christians, our past still very much affects our present. We're shaped very much by our history. And not just our own personal history is what he's talking about. He's talking about the history of our family. The attitudes and judgments and habits of parents and grandparents and great-grandparents tend to be shared and communicated and inherited by later generations. It, it tends to form a culture in which we develop and grow up that very much shapes the person we become. And this is not a bad thing. Many of us are thinking, yeah, I love my grandpa. I really love my parents. They taught me all these wonderful things. And that's true because from our families, we can learn awesome, wonderful um, attributes and characteristics like hard work and um, the, the joy of having a job well done, the satisfaction of, 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 of the end of the day. And you can look back and see that the work you've done is done well. You can get these um, characteristics from your, from your family about uh, have to do with integrity and truth and honesty and commitment and faithfulness and respect and love. All of these are, are things that our families can teach us. And maybe for most of us here, one of the, the best things, or the best, the greatest legacy our family has left us, coming to know God in Jesus Christ. And so we can be very thankful, as well we should, for the, the background that we have in our families. But what about those things that aren't so positive? What about the, the habits and the judgments and the, the ways of doing things and thinking about things that get transmitted from generation to generation that aren't maybe all that good? Peter Scazzaro comments on it like this. Uh, God chose to birth us into a particular family in a particular place at a particular moment in history. That choice offered us certain opportunities and gifts. At the same time, our families also handed us other entrenched, unbiblical patterns of relating and living. In fact, Scripture teaches us that an intricate, complex relationship exists between the kind of person that we are today and our past. This morning we're going to take a little time to explore that intricate, complex relationship that the author referred to here, and we're going to explore that for ourselves using the story of Jacob. Now, um, the, this man Jacob, who we find in our verses wrestling of all things with God, and is this, this amazing and yet strange account, um, there was a, there's a long history that led him to that, and you have 
have a little bit of that background in order to understand the significance of what's happening here. So, a little bit about Jacob. He was the uh, son of a man named Isaac. He was the brother of a man named Esau. So Jacob and Esau were brothers. They were both sons of Isaac. And Isaac was the son of a guy named Abraham. And he's like, he's like the big Old Testament guy, right? Other than Moses. Abraham was the one that God said to him, I'm going to make you into a great nation as countless as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And it was through Abraham that the Savior would come. God gave that pro- a promise to Abraham. Abraham transmitted it on to his heir, Isaac. And then Isaac was going to give that gift, that blessing, that promise on to the next generation. This is where things get a little sticky, though. Esau was the eldest. Not by much. Uh, he, they were actually twins uh, in the womb at the same time. And uh, although Jacob really was holding on to to Esau's uh, heel to try to keep him in there, Esau was born first and then Jacob. So Esau was the eldest, which means that we would expect as the firstborn that God would accomplish his promise through Esau. That's what is normal, what normal at that time. But that's not what God was going to do. God's plan was to work through Jacob. And God made that clear that the younger would serve the older. And he made it clear to Isaac and he made it clear to Rebekah, who was Isaac's wife, and he made it clear to the whole family. So the younger is going to serve, excuse me, the older is going to serve the younger. But despite knowing that, despite knowing that, Jacob still thought he had to take matters into his own hands to try to accomplish it. And this is what we see Jacob's life. This is important to understand the kind of character that he was growing up and as he, into adulthood. And the first time you see this is when um, Esau, you might remember this story if you ever studied this in like Sunday school or Bible history or something. Esau comes in famished from hunting and he sees that Jacob's cooked up this nice stew and he's like, give me some of that stew. And Jacob's like, okay, but give me your birthright first. And birthright doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but we can imagine it's something like the the, um, the, the, the best of the inheritance being the firstborn. Give me the, you know, I want your share. I want everything you're going to get. Esau gave it to him, which is a whole other story. The Bible says Esau despised his birthright. So Esau was wrong to do that. But Jacob used a meal to leverage gaining this thing in the interest of trying to help God accomplish the promise. And then it got worse. Later on in life, and th- this is the big one, Isaac's getting close to death and his eyes aren't so good anymore. And he wants to bless his sons. And for whatever reason, Isaac is choosing to bless Esau as the the one through whom the promise would come, even though he knew it was supposed to be Jacob. But he's going to bless Esau. So uh, at the behest of Jacob's mother, Rebekah, Jacob dresses up in Esau's clothes. He puts on goatskins. And then he goes and gets food that Esau likes to hunt and make. And he brings it to his dad. And you know what he's trying to do, right? You get it? Like he's trying to imperse. This is like the first, first officially recorded um, account of, of fe- identity theft, I suppose. Um, right? So I, I never thought of that until now. This is it's a brand new insight for this morning. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right. So, um, and it worked because Isaac can't see, and what he smells of Esau, what he smells of Jacob is Esau, what he feels of Jacob is Esau, because Esau was a very hairy man. That's why, he wasn't a goat. I don't mean to confuse him. He was a very hairy man. And um, 
And so he thinks it's Esau and he blesses him. He gives him the blessing that was meant, uh, that God had meant to give to Jacob. So Jacob, uh, got it for himself, but he did it through deception. And all of this is important to understand the kind of person Jacob was. And you don't have to understand all the details, but you do want to get this part. Though Jacob was a believer, he also was someone who tended to rely on himself in his own ways of doing things, in his own schemes, in his own deceit, really. He was a sinner, right? He was a sinner. And that was made even more apparent because of the background of his family. Jacob and Esau, both brothers, they did not, they were not loved the same by their parents. The parents played favorites in that family so that Isaac loved Esau the most and Rebekah loved Jacob the most. And you know what that led to? It led to mom scheming with Jacob to get the inheritance, to get the blessing. And then later on it led to Jacob fleeing from his home because he was so Esau was going to murder him for his deception. That brings us to today. To the verses that we have in front of us today because is about to meet Esau again after many, many years. And the big question on Jacob's mind is, 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 is Esau still angry? Is he still in a rage and he's, he's still going to kill me? The point of this whole story is for us to recognize that our backgrounds and our family experiences and our history can very much shape our present and the kind of people that we are. And as we see here in the story of Jacob, it's not always in a good way. There are, as Scazzaro says, entrenched unbiblical patterns of relating and living. And we haven't even talked about the, the patterns of lying that existed in, in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And um, you remember Joseph later on, his whole brother, all his brothers lie about him being dead. There's this patterns of, 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 unbiblical behavior that are transmitted from generation to generation. And so the question for us today as we look back at, the, at this account of Jacob is to ask, what are those for you and me? What in our history, our family history, uh, the history of those who have influenced us the most is contradictory to the Christian of discipleship. What habits and and patterns of living have been transmitted to me or am I transmitting to the next generation that are unbiblical and unchristian? And to help us explore that a little bit, I'm going to borrow some of Peter Scazzaro's examples. Uh, he calls them in his book, what does he call them? Unbiblical Family Commandments. So you guys know, I just can't help but think of like the... Uh, in our house, we love, and you know, right? We see that on Etsy. You guys know what Etsy is? Okay. Um, so, but here, it's the unbiblical family commandments. So these are the things that, um, what, what Scazzaro is talking about is that they are the ways of doing things and thinking in a family that maybe are never said, but they are very, in fact, real. And what I want you to do as you listen to this is to see if any of these resonate with you, these, these um, entrenched ways of doing things. And keep in mind it's probably not going to have been actually said in so many words in your family. So try to think if there's the, the uns, what, what's, what's unspoken. On the topic of money, money is the best source of security. 
unbiblical commandment number one. Money is the best source of security, or its corollary, make lots of money to prove that you made it in life. And basically, what, what he's saying here is these are both about security and success. They're tied to your income. Whether or not you actually say that or not, that's what you're thinking. That's what your family thinks. I'm dealing with conflict. Avoid conflict at all costs. Or on the other side of it, fighting with dirty tactics is okay. Both of them have uh, something to do with, with, with conflict. One is saying never engage in conflict, and the other is saying never lose an argument. No matter what, you at the you all want to be the winner at the end. That's what's more important. But related to sex, men can be promiscuous. Women must be chaste. Maybe that's not in so many words something that you've thought about. Maybe it is. Maybe this one, men, will resonate with you a little bit more. I I remember hearing this in my culture. Look, but don't touch. Look, but don't touch. On grief, sadness is a sign of weakness. Especially if you're a man. Sadness is a sign of weakness, so get over your feelings. On anger, exploding in anger is okay to make a point. On family, duty to family and culture comes before everything, which would, of course, include your faith in Christ. Relationships, don't show vulnerability, because that's weak. Emotions, your feelings are not that important. In relation to other ethnicities, certain cultures are not as good as ours. And the list could go on and on and on. It could go on and on to talk about the ways in which we engage with our families and our spouses, or the ways in which we parent our children. Uh, Whatever it is, the point is not to say, did anyone say these things in so many words in my house, in my life, in my family, but to ask yourself, Has this ever been the unspoken way of doing things, the unspoken rules, the unspoken attitudes in what I have grown up or what I have transmitted? The the, the question we want to ask today is, how have sinful patterns developed in my life and in me, and how have I transmitted them on so so that these sinful ways of doing things, these entrenched, unbiblical ways of looking at things, the person that I am today, There's good news and bad news at this point. The good news is is that the sermon keeps going. You're, I'm not sure if that's good news. Um, the, 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 that's not the good news I had for you. But the bad news is that... Um, let's do the bad news first. The bad, bad news is, is this is not a self-help sermon. I don't, I don't have three steps to a better you. I cannot help you become a better human being. That is not what we're here about today. But the good news is, is that there's something much better that this message is about There's something something much grander. There is no better you, but there is a new you. And it comes to you. No matter what entrenched, unbiblical, unchristian patterns of living have been made part of who you are, no matter what they are, this newness comes to you in God's promises to you in Jesus Christ. And Jacob discovered that. He did. Now, there are a ton of things we could talk about with this Jacob account. Like, like, why? What's going on? Why did God appear to wrestle with Jacob? 
Why couldn't God beat Jacob? I mean, was he WWE or WWF? I, or, or what does it mean that God touched Jacob's hip? Why did he do that and, and why the wrenching of his hip? And moving around too much here. going to butt myself back up. Um, we could talk about all these different things, uh, but we're not because, quite frankly, Luther was right. This is one of the most obscure accounts in all of Scripture, and I don't have all the answers for you. But we can make a couple of observations today that I hope will be helpful. One, observation number one, very simply. Whatever else this was, this was a spiritual interaction and engagement between Jacob and God. This was a spiritual thing. So that, that's number one. You can tuck that away and you can think, okay, yes, it was, there was wrestling, but it wasn't wrestling for the sake of wrestling. Whatever that was, this was something spiritual that's happening. Number two, more to the point for today, the struggle that Jacob was engaging in here was not like the struggle of the past. Jacob was not doing what he used to do. Listen to the interaction in verse 26 between the man and Jacob. Uh, The man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You see, Jacob understood who this was. Maybe not at first, but eventually he did. And maybe maybe not fully. Maybe he just thought, I know what's happening here. I know that God is working here. I know God's behind this. But he understood that. And because of that, above all else, he sought God's blessing. And that is a new Jacob. At this critical time, when Jacob's about to meet Esau again for the first time, and he does not know how it is going to go down, Instead of relying on himself and his old schemes and his old deceit, Jacob instead looks to his God. Instead of looking to himself, he looks to the only source for protection that he truly knows, the only source for help that he has. He looks to God's promise and forsakes his own way of doing things. And this is a new Jacob. Listen to how Jacob prayed. He, Jacob makes this very clear in a few verses before ours. I'm just going to read a section of it because his prayer lets us in on what's going on in his heart. Jacob says, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown to your servant. He's crediting God with everything, right? Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. And then... Then Jacob says something super important. He's still praying. He says, God, you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea which cannot be counted. In other words, Jacob repeats back to God the very promise that God had given him. Jacob abandons himself and finds his true security and identity in the promise that God had given him, not his own doing and his own scheming. And that transformation is what Jacob had experienced over the years. We're jumping, uh, there's a lot of years going on here. This did not happen overnight. Don't think that this did. Jacob learned this over years, but he did learn it. And it's why God in these verses changes his name. He says, you're no longer going to be Jacob. Uh, which, by the way, means heel grabber, which is a um, kind of a, a name that means like deceitful person. It just all comes together in strange ways. Um, but anyway, he says, you're not going to be Jacob. You're going to be Israel. 
because you have struggled with God and man and have overcome. And Israel was, for Jacob, a name that symbolized his persistence of faith. He had struggled with God and people and had overcome in this way, meaning he forsook his old ways, his old self, and he found his true identity in the promises God had given him. And that is the transformation that we want to focus on today. There are any number of things that can influence you and me in this life. In our families, in our histories, and what's transmitted from generation to generation is certainly one of them. The greatest, the most important, the most powerful, aside from our Lord and Savior Jesus, is the old self that we're born with. Right? Because that old self is the reason we struggle with what happens in our past and what happens in our parents' past. That old self is is very willing to embrace all of the bad habits and all of the unbiblical ways of thinking and doing that are given to us from parents and grandparents, brothers and sisters, friends and family. It's completely corrupt and it is ready to make these things its own. And that means that in this life we are predisposed. Understand? We're predisposed to continuing these patterns of sin. And the guilt is just as much ours. We can't go pointing our fingers at previous generations. The guilt is ours. The guilt was Jacob's. It was his fault that he was scheming. He was the sinner, despite what his family's influence did. But in his walk of faith, he learned to forsake that and to find himself in God's promises to him. And the great news is, friends, that God's promise was fulfilled. God's promise to Jacob was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so you understand that Jacob was finding his identity in the promises of God given to him in the Messiah who would come. And you and me find who we are in the promises of God in the Messiah who has come. No longer do we say, this is who we are because it's what my family says about me, it's what my history says about me, it's what I say about me. Instead, we say, this is what God says about me. And what is that promise? There's so many, there's so many beautiful ways we could talk about it. How about, how about what John said this morning? We heard him in his gospel. He said, the Son of God came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him, yet to all who did receive him. To those, I'm looking at him right now, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. God's promise, friends, is that he has given you new birth into a new family. And in this new family, your identity is no longer dictated by the patterns of the old, but by the promise and proclamation of God in Jesus Christ. You are made a child of God. That is an objective, absolute reality. That's what John says here. For everyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, you are made new as a child of God. So foundationally, friends, you are transformed by God's promise. Amen? So now closing point, two minutes. Live it. Live it. Here's what I mean. Um, Jacob, Jacob had his identity wrapped up in, in the promise his whole life. He was a believer. 
But it took him a long time to get to that point where he was forsaking who he had learned to be and finding himself in that promise, to living it and experiencing it. Let's learn from Jacob, friends. Not that we will ever be free from the old patterns in this life. Not fully. Because we won't until we're in glory with Christ. Just like Jacob, and by the way, Jacob continued to struggle with, his, with the old patterns. He did. He will continue to struggle with them as well. But that doesn't mean we need to be owned by them. And we, we don't need to be ruled by those unbiblical, unchristian patterns of thinking and doing that are passed down or just developed within us. God has made you new in Christ. You heard it in Colossians. Paul said, I have died and now my life is hidden with Christ in God. That's you. And that objective reality means your new life is one in which you have an attitude, a new attitude toward everything. It's an attitude that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12 that we referenced earlier in, 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 in the, the service, but Paul says this, do not conform yourselves any longer to the pattern of this world. And you and I could say to the pattern of our history, to the pattern of our families, to the, whatever the bad patterns are we have in life, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what God has done for you. You are transformed in Christ. And in Him, you will experience that new life as you continually forsake the old patterns and find your identity in what God has promised you, just like Jacob did. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Ascension. If you'd like to talk with Pastor Ben or just learn more about our ministry, check out our website at ascensionharrisburg.com.